Well, good morning again, church. So good to be with you now here on Palm Sunday. Easter is coming up, and as always, it's a joy uh, to hear from God in His Word together. And if you are here with us for your first time or one of your first times, we do just want to say that we are so glad you're with us this morning. So this morning, we continue and we finally conclude our series, Being a Jesus-Centered Church. Being a Jesus-Centered Church. This is our final sermon in the series. We'll do an Easter message next week, and then we'll do something else after that. So this is our sixth sermon of a six-week series, and thus far, we've seen a lot about what it means to be a church that's truly centered on Jesus Christ, living for Jesus Christ. And as a quick recap of our series thus far, in week one, we saw that we're a Jesus-centered church when we hear from Jesus in the Bible. And then in week two, we saw that we're a Jesus-centered church when we're those who really love and trust what Jesus did for us in the gospel, bringing us back to God. And in week three, we saw the natural result of those two things, being in a relationship with God and hearing from God is speaking to God, which is prayer. And in week four, we saw that the result of all of those three things was then now we go out and we live lives like Jesus. And we talk about living lives of holiness, and holiness means sinning less and loving more. And then finally, last week, we considered the how of all of this. How it is that we become Christians and how it is that we continue to live like Jesus. And the answer we saw was by grace. Not by our own merit, but by grace. Because God treats us continually better than we could ever deserve. So that's the series thus far. The Bible, the gospel, prayer, living like Jesus, all by grace. But now we conclude with one final important topic. And if last week we considered the how of it all, how it all happens, this week we'll conclude by considering the purpose of it all, the goal of it all, or maybe even best yet, the why of it all. And the goal and the purpose and the why of everything we've discussed over these last five weeks is the glory of God. The glory of God. Or say it another way, what we're really considering this morning is the question, if you had the question, okay, now I, I genuinely am a Christian, I trust in Jesus, I love what Jesus did in the gospel, I read the Bible, I pray to Christ, I strive to live like Christ, I realize that it's all by grace, that's all true, but what is this really all about? Or what's really going on in my life and in this whole world? What really, now that I'm a Christian, have I been swept up into? And the answer to that question is the glory of God. That's the big thing as Jesus-centered people we have been swept up into if we trust in him. That's our ultimate purpose. That's our ultimate goal. That's the reason we're alive. That's our ultimate joy. We, we read our Bibles. We trust the gospel. We pray. We live like Jesus all by grace, all for, for the purpose of the glory of God, so that God may be glorified. That's the goal. That's where all of this has always been going. But perhaps the word and the idea, the, the glory of God or God's glory or the idea of doing things for God's glory, is an idea you've heard before a lot. Especially if you grew up in church, you've been in church for a while, I'm sure that's probably the case that you knew that this was the answer to the purpose as you came in here. 
But this morning, I want us to really consider what this means. Because we use the term all the time, but what does it mean that the purpose, that the goal of all of this that we've been talking about is the glory of God? That's what we'll be considering this morning, and that's what we'll see in Philippians 1 and in Philippians 2. Before we dig in there, I do want to show you that this purpose that we're talking about this morning, the glory of God, isn't some new purpose of God. It's not some purpose that came into existence once Christ came into the world. Instead, I want to show you that in the Bible, this has been God's plan all along. And this especially has been the heartbeat of God's people from the very beginning. And to do this, I want us to quickly go through some verses in the Psalms. In the Psalms. And here's why I think this will be helpful. The Psalms, as you might know, are in the middle of your Bible, and they are an Old Testament book, and it simply consists of 150 different Psalms, or songs, or poems. Psalms and poems of God's people. The Psalms are the worship book of God's people in the Old Testament, and they're still a worship book for us today, considering them in the Bible. And being a worship book, it was a book, as you can imagine, that was often sung, that was often exclaimed and, and singing. And so the Psalms are particularly helpful. The reason we want to go to a few of them is because, as we know, when we sing something, or we write something down intentionally, poetically, in a song, Songs are a unique way for us to describe and sing our emotions and our passions and our heart's desire. So in the Psalms specifically, we really get to see the passionate heart of God's people and of God himself who inspired the book. So the question is, what do we see passionately sung about and expressed in the Psalms over and over? What is the consistent desire of God's singing people? You probably know the answer, the glory of God. The glory of God, specifically that God's glory may be loved and rejoiced in and spread over the entire earth. But I want you to see this for yourself. The word glory is in the Psalms over 50 times. We're just going to look at three verses. And we'll be doing this semi-quickly, so if, you're, if you like, if you really like tracking along, you can skim along with me in the Psalms. The Psalms, as I said, are in the middle of your Bible. So you can keep a finger in Philippians 1 and we can come back to it later. But I'll just go through these three verses quickly because we're doing this again because it's really helpful to see the heartbeat of God's people. In the Old Testament, the heartbeat of us, his people, today. So let's start in Psalm 115, verse 1. This is Psalm 115, verse 1. And you might know this passage. This is pretty famous. Psalm 115, verse 1 says this. So they're singing and they say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. So there we see a foundational idea in the Psalms and in the whole Bible. It's not about us and our glory. It's about God's glory. Why? Because he's so loving and so faithful. So that's a foundational first idea from the Psalms. God gets the glory, not us. Now let's go to Psalm 70, not 72, 72. If you want to go to Psalm 72, verse 19, the Bible says this. Blessed be the glorious name, blessed be God's glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. And so here we see that God's 
the people of God's desire is for God's glory to do two things. And this makes sense. First, to fill the earth. We want God's glory to fill the entire earth. You see that. But then also, we see that's added this time aspect. We want God's glory to fill the earth forever. So if you're tracking, we have three things from the psalm so far. God gets the glory, not us. We want his glory to fill the entire earth. We don't want it just to fill the earth for a short time. We want God's glory to fill the earth forever. Which finally leads to our last passage in the psalm in Psalm 96. The Psalm 96, verse 3. The psalmist saying, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So here we see this idea expanded even more specifically. It's not just that God's people want God's glory spread throughout all the earth vaguely, but specifically, we want God's glory to be spread among all the nations, among all the peoples, people groups, ethnicities, people who share a common language, peoples, plural. So putting these three psalms even, just three psalms together, we see God's heart and God's people's heart. Our cry is for God to be glorified, not us. For God's glory to go throughout the whole entire world forever. And specifically, we want his glory to go and be spread among all the nations and all the peoples. And so now you see it. That was God's desire all the way back in the Old Testament. And that's God's desire and our desire today. And so this is the heartbeat of God's people, the glory of God, for God to be glorified. But the question still is, okay, this is our heart's desire, but how do we fit in? Again, what does this mean that our purpose is to glorify God? And we'll see it pretty clearly in Philippians 1 and 2. But first, before we do go there, let's first just define the glory of God. Let's define it, because it is a word and an idea that's used all the time, but it's often not defined, and defining it will really help us as we then go and see it in Philippians 1 and 2. So what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Well, perhaps the best and the simplest way to define the glory of God is to say that God's glory is who God is put on display. It's that simple. It's who God is put on display. It's who God is in himself, then going forth so that others in the world can see it and experience it and love it and share it. And in this way, the glory of God connects to the holiness of God, which we talked about a few weeks ago. The holiness of God is who God is in himself that makes him so distinct. The holiness of God is how he's so unique. And we talked about he's holy because he's totally without any negatives. He has no sin. And he's holy because he's totally full of all the positives. He's totally loving and totally good. But then the glory of God, God being glorified, is then those things, his holiness shining forth into the world, to people. It's his beautiful holiness put on display so that we in God's world can see it and love it and share it. And that's why some of the best synonyms for the glory of God, when people are trying to explain this, some of the best synonyms are things like it's God's radiance 
or it's his splendor or his brilliance or his beauty. Because when we're talking about the glory of God, all of those words I just said, like the word glory itself, glory just literally means weight. God is weighty and it's his weight going out that we can experience. And all those other words emphasize that there's something special about God And then his glory is those things going out and us experiencing and seeing that specialness, if you will. For example, saying that God's glory is God's radiance, if you're tracking, means that God is so unique and so burning, if you will, with his loveliness and his purity, that his glory is then who he is radiating out to us. Or we could talk about his splendor or his brilliance. Those are light words, talking about light. And God in himself is totally light and full of light. But his glory is that light then shining out to us. It's the rays from the beam of the sun. And that's why we say his glory is his splendor or his brilliance, the light that we see and experience. The same can go with God's beauty. God is lovely and perfect in himself, but God is beautiful when we see that. And we say he is beautiful. That's his glory being seen by us. So that's the glory of God. I hope that helps. It's who God is going forth. It's the goodness of God put on display. It's his power and loveliness manifested and magnified. It's who he is displayed so he can be seen, loved, experienced and shared. And this makes sense, kind of a side note, but this is helpful. This makes sense of why when Jesus comes into the world, the New Testament writer, especially, for example, the writer John, Jewish writer, who understood a lot of this about the glory of God from the Old Testament, writes, and we have seen Jesus' glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's also why the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. This all makes sense because Jesus literally is who God is put on display for us. He's God put on display for us. This is why Jesus can say to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because when we see who Jesus is, We've seen who God is put on display. We've seen God's glory. And so that's the glory of God. It's who God is put on display. And so when we ask the question, now we're back to it. Where do we come in, though? How do we glorify God? Well, it makes sense that our privilege then now is to live in such a way where who God is in himself is put on display in our lives. That's what it means to glorify God. We live in such a way where God is glorified, where we make it by how we live, how we think, and how we speak, that who he is is shining forth into the world so that it can be experienced in love and shared with others. That's living for the glory of God. So now, we will come now to Philippians 1 and 2. We're going to see in these chapters the two main ways that this happens. That God is glorified. Two main ways we, quote, live for the glory of God. Something we talk about all the time. I think these will make a lot of sense. The first way we'll see in Philippians 1. Second way in Philippians 2. And these two ways are pretty simple. 
The first way we glorify God is we glorify God by how we live. That's Philippians 1. And then the second way we glorify God is we live for the glory of God when we seek to share the message of his glorious son, even to the ends of the earth. And I hope that makes sense. It's pretty simple. We spread God's glory in both word and deed. In both of how our lives are uniquely lived so that God is put on display and also in how we intentionally go and share the message of the glory of God, of Jesus Christ, his son. In both of those things, in how we live and how we share the gospel, what are we doing? We're telling and showing the world who our God really is. We're glorifying God. So with all that said, let's finally now turn to Philippians 1. Again, I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles. This is Philippians chapter 1. It was read earlier. And again, Philippians 1, 9 through 11 here. As we said, we're going to see how we glorify God by how we live. So let's read Philippians 1, 9 through 11. If you want to look down in your Bibles. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So you can see it there in that prayer, the emphasis on Christian living. But also notice where it's all going. Look again at your Bible at verse 11. This paragraph ends with to the glory and praise of God. So all this, it's one sentence that we're about to look into, this prayer, has a lot of stuff in it, but we need to realize that the goal and the purpose of it all is to, for the purpose of, the glory and praise of God. And now we know what that means, is everything we're about to talk about quickly here, is for the purpose of God, who God is in himself, putting, being put on display by how we live. So let's quickly go through these verses. Look again at verse 9. Begins with a prayer that we love more. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And so you see it, our goal right away is to love and to have our love abound more and more. And if you're tracking right away, that makes a lot of sense. We want to glorify God, meaning we want who God is to be put on display. And so first and foremost, that does mean we need to be a people of love. God is a God of love. And so if we want to show him by how we live, we also must be people of love. But also notice there in verse 9, this love isn't just some sentimental thing. It's interesting that Paul adds this. Instead, it's an intentional love that comes with, quote, with knowledge and all discernment. This makes sense too. Think of it this way. God doesn't love kind of just willy-nilly. He doesn't love like that. Instead, the more we know, the more we know about God, the more we know each other and we know people's situations, the more we can love. So our aim is to know, know God and know others more so that we can love better. So that's just a summary of verse 9. Our goal here is so that God's love, which is part of his holiness and his glory, can be displayed by us being a people of love. Now let's look at verse 10. Verse 10, he continues on, so that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
And so here we see the other side of living like Jesus. We talked about this weeks ago. Verse 9, the emphasis is love. Verse 10 here, the emphasis is living lives of less sin all the way until Jesus returns. Lives of purity. Lives of blamelessness. And blamelessness doesn't mean perfect. It just means being such a person that people can't blame you for things. Lives of approving what is excellent. And this makes sense too, because if we want to display God, our God of light, the more we live less in the darkness, the more we'll display who he is. Which finally brings us to verse 11. So let's see where this is all going. Verse 11, so that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so now the prayer is that we become a people who are filled with fruit to the glory of God. And this idea of fruit from the Apostle Paul is actually something that I think all of us are pretty familiar with. Because as you might know elsewhere in one of his letters, in the letter to Galatians, Paul famously talks about fruit. There it's the fruit of the Spirit, but I think it's he's talking similarly about fruit here. There it's the Spirit producing these things in you. Here it's God's righteousness producing those things in you. But as we know in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And so the picture is God's Spirit, God's righteousness producing those things in us. We're the trees. And God comes and produces these things in us. And, and now this makes sense why the fruit is to the glory of God. Because think about this. What really is being put on display if we as a church and individuals start to be so much more loving and joyful and patient and peaceful and kind and good and gentle and self-controlled people? Will it be our own radiance, our own splendor, our own glory? No, not at all. We know we can't do that on our own. Instead, what we'll be displaying to the world if we show forth the fruit of the Spirit, more love, more joy, more peace, is we'll be showing forth to the world our God of love, of joy, of peace. And when we do that, we will be glorifying God. We'll be showing to the world what our God is like by how we live. We'll be displaying His glory. And so that's Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And there are a lot of specifics there we could have applied, but I hope... You take that home and you apply whatever the Lord puts on your heart to yourself. But perhaps the simplest overarching application we can make after reading verses like that and seeing the goal is to really realize at this point in the message, to really make, apply this and bring it home, to realize that the Bible does teach that your and my life really does have this massive purpose. That you and my life really can be lived and should be lived for the glory of God. And I know you probably knew that, but don't let that pass you by. Because, of course, you probably know that that's the case. And, and you probably came in here this morning knowing the phrase, the glory of God. But I hope by this point in the message, you see that this isn't just some vague concept or some vague motto that the Bible just throws out here and there. It means that by how you and I live, this massive purpose of the whole entire universe to show forth who God is can happen in your life. And that's why, as we said earlier, what we're really talking about this morning as we end our series is we're talking about being swept up 
into something really big when you're a Christian. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about living for the glory of God. Because we're talking about something that now finally gives us real solid purpose to our lives. It's something big, something weighty. That's what the word glory just originally meant. Something weighty to live for. And having a grand weighty purpose like that is no small thing. Because the world is craving for something like this. Something to live for. We all are. And, and so many people settle for living for such weightless things. Living from your bank accounts or so that you can have a little more comfort. Or simply living to make a decent living, have a decent family, retire, have some fun, and then pass away. Or some people realize there must be something more, so they zealously pursue joy and, and, and quick pleasures. Or they just so badly want to leave a mark to be remembered. And some of those things have some place in themselves, but we know God made us. We know we were made to live for something way bigger than our puny little transient selves. We were made to live for something weighty, something global. We were meant to be swept up into the grand purpose of all of history. And that, brothers and sisters, is the glory of God. Amen. It's our grand purpose day in and day out. We get to experience who our God is, his glory, and our relationship with him through Christ. We get to continue that and rejoice and love his glory. And then we get to spread his glory. As we've seen in Philippians 1. By how we live day in and day out. So that's Philippians 1. Our first point. We live lives to the glory of God by how we live. But as we know, that's not the only way we glorify God in the Bible. There's also a second massive way that we glorify God. And that's by spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. In our immediate surroundings here in Stanford, of course, in this country, but really unto the ends of the earth. And for this, we're going to look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2. So I don't know if that's a Bible page turn for you or if it's on the same page on the right side. Either way, we're in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And so the word glory is only used a handful of times in Philippians. And here what we're going to see was used in chapter 111, but it's also now going to be used in chapter 211. And so we're going to read that paragraph from 5 to 11 of chapter 2. But before we even read the paragraph, just look with me at verse 11 of chapter 2. Because this is where our paragraph is going. Just like our first paragraph, chapter 2, this paragraph, verse 11 is going here. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Where is it going? To the glory and praise of God. So in the first chapter, we saw a paragraph that was going to the glory of God, and we saw that God is glorified by how we live. But now in chapter 2, we're going to see something else. So let's read that paragraph now, and then we'll consider what it's saying together. So this is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we don't have time, we're not going to dig into all the details there. It's perhaps one of the most beautiful paragraphs about Jesus in the whole entire Bible. Instead, all I want us to do this morning is take the passage's overarching point and ask what it is there that really glorifies God. Because remember, the goal of this paragraph, verse 11, is to the glory of God the Father. So ask yourself, what's going on in that whole paragraph that glorifies God? What is to the glory of God the Father we probably notice if you could sum up that paragraph, what's being talked about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this paragraph is about. It's about Jesus humbling himself, verses 6 through 8, to the point of death on a cross. And then it's about him being alive, and one day God's going to so exalt him that he will be praised everywhere for this gospel. So the gospel glorifies God in this paragraph. It's all The gospel happens the death of Jesus, the, the resurrection, the future exaltation of Jesus to the glory of God. So I hope you see that there. But also you probably notice that that's not all that glorifies God in this paragraph. It's not just that the gospel glorifies God, though that's true. Instead, specifically, it's Jesus and his gospel being praised all over the world that glorifies God in this paragraph. What glorifies God is that Jesus and what he did in his gospel is being praised all over the earth here. And Paul then ends, that happening is to the glory of God. And so that's our, first, that's our second point here this morning. Here we get a glimpse into the second way the Bible talks about in other places too, that we glorify God. We glorify God by how we live, and we glorify God by spreading this news, this good news of Jesus Christ, even unto the ends of the earth. Because again, you see it, that's what glorifies God in this text. But in our text, you might have noticed this is something specifically here that's going to be happening in the future. In the future, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and God will be glorified because people on that day, Christians will confess that we, we knew this and we're so thankful, and unbelievers will have to admit on that day that this is true. And on that day, the gospel will be plain, and God will be glorified. But here's why this matters to us today. The fact that that day is coming, where God's going to be glorified for his gospel spread all over the world, sheds light on our task today. And that's for us now until that day comes to spread the gospel of Jesus to every corner of the earth. And again, that's the second way we glorify God. It's not just we glorify God by how we live, but it's the message about what God has done through Christ for the world that particularly glorifies, that magnifies, that shows who our God is. And so if we want to live for the glory of God, we must share this message. And so this means we have to be people who live for Jesus and tell about Jesus. In our daily lives, we have to do this. To glorify God, we must make it one of our aims to share this glorious message with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers, with the city of Stanford. And with Easter coming up, it's a great time to do it. 
Again, why? So that God, through his message, can be put on display, can be glorified. But this text also implies, because it's a global thing, that we can't just be about ourselves or even this church or even just this city. We have to do this globally. And why? Because God intends not just to save random individuals, not just to save people here in Stanford or in the West or in our country, although that's gloriously true, but he's clear in the Bible here and many places elsewhere that he is saving individuals from every single tribe, language, people, and nation. And this makes sense now of the whole biblical picture that we've seen. That's why we went to the Psalms. It's not that we're just images of God who are meant to show forth God's glory in our lives, as true as that is. But God has made a whole huge planet, as we know, with billions of people. And he intends to save people from every tribe, language, people, and nation so that his glorious gospel can be known and that people all over this earth can then start living lives for his glory. And that's why as we come to an end of our series, we're not just ending by talking about living for the glory of God. We're talking about living for the global glory of God. And that's why the message title is the way it is. Because again, we've been swept up into something really big. Something that doesn't just explain our individual purpose, but God's global purpose. His purpose to be spread, his glory to be spread throughout all the earth by saving people from everywhere. Let me just say this. Him doing this is truly a beautiful and glorious thing. Because think of it this way. God is not just saving random individuals. Instead, he's intentionally making his people from all times and all places this beautiful kaleidoscope. From all places and peoples all over the world with all different customs and languages and unique cultural practices, but who all with one beautiful accord will make much of him. All different peoples from all times and places, but who all with one beautiful accord will praise his son for the same gospel. And all people with one accord who will then live lives for his glory, experiencing who God is in himself, loving him and sharing him on this earth now. And that's what eternity is going to be forever. And so again, as we end our series, we can't just say we're committed to God's glory. It must be God's global glory. That's why Jesus came. So for Jesus-centered people, let's not just focus on ourselves or even just this church or this city. Those are very important, of course. Let's pray for all of those things. But if we love the gospel, read our Bibles, pray, live like Jesus, realize it's all by grace, we also now realize we're part of this massive, majestic, diverse mission of God, the global glory of God. And so we must pray for other nations to intentionally think about and pray for and support other churches and other nations. That's why we should pray for missionaries and support missionaries like we do at this church. And it's why we all each, pretty consistently every once in a while, have to consider even going ourselves. 
because we realize and recognize that God's glory and God's purpose is much bigger than just our church, just this nation. Instead, he will be glorified throughout the entire earth. And part of our task now as those who live for the glory of God is to pray for and support this mission of the gospel going forth into every people group of the earth. So now with all of that said, we finally conclude our six-week series, Being a Jesus-Centered Church. We saw in these last six weeks that we hear from Jesus in the Bible, that we love the gospel, that we pray to him, that we seek to live lives of less sin and more love, that all happens because our God, our Jesus, is gracious, because he consistently treats us better than we deserve. And now, this morning, we saw the reason for it all. And the reason is not just because it's right or, or you know, because we just don't want to go to hell. Instead, it's because our passion is to seek the glory of God, to live for the glory of God. Our heart's desire is to live lives in such a way that by how we live day in and day out, God is put on display and magnified to those around us. And it's our heart's desire to then spread the good news of his son wherever we are in our neighborhoods, in the city of Stanford, and really unto the ends of the earth. We see it really clearly. It's our grand purpose, church, and our heart's desire to live for this Jesus-centered, global, eternal purpose of God. We get to live for the global glory of God. What a privilege, and honestly, what a reason to be alive. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray.